Hey friends, and welcome back to this week's episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. I'm your non-diet dietitian, trainer, and host, Katie, and this is episode 228. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Kitty Ferguson. We are talking all about grief, food, the holidays, body image. How is this all compounded when you've experienced the loss of a loved one? What does grief look like? How does it show up? How can you best support others who have experienced loss? during this very difficult season. Now, you may know that I am a registered dietitian, a personal trainer, but I'm also what's called a certified intuitive eating counselor. It's a long certification. You actually go through it with the creator, the author of intuitive eating, and Kitty is one as well. But I want you to recognize that she is a wealth of knowledge and the work, similar to the work that I do with nutrition, Kitty takes that same lens of intuitive eating through her work with clients as well. So Kitty actually started her professional career as an EMT before graduating from the nationally top-rated Steve Hicks School of Social Work, University of Texas at Austin, where she was awarded a federal grant to actually study integrated behavioral health. There, she received multiple scholarships from different advocacy efforts with marginalized communities and foster children within the court system. She interned at the prestigious Dell Medical School of the inaugural cohort of social workers within the only Department of Health social work in a medical school in the world, which is pretty interesting. She has also provided counseling to victims of crime through the YWCA. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that YWCA, the YWCA, the YMCA, women's and men, uh, that holds a very special place near and dear to my heart. She's also served foster children, and she's done a lot of work in her community by testifying for school finance reform and just really being involved in addition to the work that she does primarily, which is seeing clients at Therapy Austin, which is a group practice located in Central Texas. So I'm so excited for you to listen to this conversation. Kitty actually currently focuses on helping those living with chronic illnesses and post-bariatric patients heal from trauma in order to regain a sense of joy, freedom, and embodiment with authenticity, generosity, and compassion. You guys, we laughed, maybe cried a little bit, all good things. So without further ado, let's get onto the show. Welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour a podcast about all things nutrition, fitness, and life in your 20s and 30s, all from a non-diet lens. I'm your host, Katie Hake, and I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified personal trainer. Join me here every week as I talk with interesting people and experts from all walks of life about their relationship with food and their bodies. I'll also share my experience working with clients in my private practice to help women find food freedom and body confidence. I'm on a mission to help you stop quantifying and start living. Learn to stop measuring your success by the scale and find your fears. Good afternoon, Kitty. Welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. This topic is so relevant. And for listeners, just right before we hit record, Kitty was like, when is this this getting released? We're getting this episode out ASAP because they're... I just have a feeling there's going to be so many golden nuggets that are really relevant right now. So let's just start by telling us, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got into counseling and the intuitive eating space. Just what's your story? Yeah, I love that. So I am a licensed master social worker. I have a master of science from UT Austin, University of Texas at Austin. And I started getting inspired to help people by both of my parents. My mom was and is still a nurse and she's been a nurse practitioner. So she's been helping people my whole life. And then my father was really big into helping people in marginalized communities, specifically as a California State Employees Association president in the 80s. And so I would I would oh, wow. spend my summers with my dad writing in his van, in his state employee van up and down California, just talking to people about union and employee rights and women's rights and stuff like that in the early, well, late, gosh, maybe like 1980. 
So a long time ago now, but yeah. So that was kind of what got me started. And then, uh, yeah, I just continued that work. Counseling kind of found me. I was always interested in helping people, but counseling found me through the pandemic. Um, I started like really sitting with people, volunteering with the YWCA and interacting with people through crisis. And I just found such inspiration listening to people and just holding space with people that that was really work that touched my heart. And so here I am still doing it and I love it. Yeah. Hearing stories. And that that's one of the reasons why I love podcasting because it allows us to hear and share different stories. So tell us a little bit more about your story with intuitive eating. And, you know, specifically today, we're going to talk about grief. So if it's okay with you, you know, share us a little bit about your experience, how you've been impacted by grief. Yeah. So I think that I really love this broadly love this topic of grief around now, because in a pandemic grief is everywhere, right? My personal journey with grief really started uh, with the loss of my father about 21 years ago, 21 years ago, uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago. So I lost him in November, right before Thanksgiving. My kids were very, my, well, I have four kids now, but my two oldest were very small. They were five and three. I was 27 and, you know, he had been very depressed for a very long time. He had a lot of mental health stuff. He had trauma, a lot of stuff going on. Um, And ultimately he passed from complications of diabetes, heavily informed by depression and trauma. So kind of a complicated case, but ultimately we, my brother was 24, I was 27 and we had to take him off of life support Mm -hmm. and take him home to pass. So that was really obviously a very difficult time. And that, you know, you can kind of always define your life as the before and after, right? There's always like these markers in your life that are like, before that, my life was one way. After that, my life was another way. And so after that time, I developed a lot of health issues as well. Gestational diabetes was on insulin. And that just spiraled for me, disordered eating. You know, I don't think I was fully into a full blown eating disorder, although I work with a lot of clients who have eating disorders now, but I was really teetering on that line. And it was informed by the medical community of like, if I don't, eat right. If I don't manage my diabetes, right. Then both me and my baby are going to die. Right? Mm. <laughs> that was literally the message that I was given. Yeah. Fear, fear, fear and, and, sh- was, and shame too. Absolutely. And this was just a few years after my father had passed. So the loss was very new. And so, so I really spiraled into that ultimately having bariatric surgery in uh, 2016. I came to intuitive eating after I had bariatric surgery and the health at every size community, really because I was desperate to get off the freaking diet train. You know, I just wanted to get out of that. I was Mm -hmm. so done with it. And through my own counseling and my own work, what I realized was that our bodies are wise. They are so smart and they have the ability, if we can just silence extraneous and external voices telling us what to do, they will guide us. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I became very passionate about intuitive eating and also got my intuitive eating counselors certification. So love that certification also, by the way, it's so interesting. And there's lots to learn. We, we could do a whole nother podcast episode yeah. on that, but I want to pause and, and almost rewind a little bit to mm. that. You know, you said before and after to that before or after, you know, your father's passing, mm-hmm. what was it like, you know, especially kind of in that early stages, as you were experiencing grief, you know, you mentioned you lost, you guys had to make that really difficult decision early in the month. Right. And then these holidays are right around the corner. 
like walk us through what you were experiencing, especially with that tragedy so close to. Mm, Yeah. So I would say it was so wrapped up in, I was also going through a a separation and divorce. Like it was just kind of a whole chaotic Mm. craziness at the time. Um, it wasn't just my father's passing. There were some other things in my life going on. I have to say, I just let go that first year in particular, I let go of any, um, (laughs) I didn't prepare for the holidays whatsoever. Like I did nothing. I was like, who's got what, right. Mm -hmm. Who can take care Mm -hmm. of whatever. Like I just didn't, you know, do anything for that for that Thanksgiving. I don't even remember that Thanksgiving. I have to be honest with you because it was survival mode. Absolutely. You're in shock at that point, you know, and and that would be when I kind of think about grief, like the lifespan of grief, right? There's like the early phases and then the later phases. And in those early phases, like there's just, I just put no expectations on myself. Yeah. Explain to us what, what you mean by the lifespan of grief. Like, what does that mean for somebody? What does that look like? Oh my gosh. That could look like so many things. So we often think about grief as like this you know, five-step process, right? Um, there's, what is it in the beginning? We've got like denial, shock, anger, negotiation, like all these things, right? And people tend to think like, I'm going to move through it and then be over it. Uh, quote unquote, as I raise my fingers there, that is just not the case. I will say just this year, obviously I'm a counselor in a pandemic. It's been rough, right? It's just rough. And even this year, what I have found is that some years are calm and quiet and the grief is kind of low and quiet. This year, it's kind of caught me by surprise. And I found myself in negotiation, right? And so mm. grief has an ebb and a flow. You can move through the stages and and it's kind of if we think about like where am I at this year or today, right? However you need to where am I at this week? Where am I at this minute? That's what I mean by the lifespan of grief is that it becomes a part of who you are. It becomes a part of the tapestry of your life. There was a time I didn't know grief. There is a time after I knew grief, right? And I'll tell you a piece of advice I was given by a counselor. About a month after my father's passing, I I went and sought a counselor. I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't get over this. Like, come on. Mm, I I was just, yeah, there's something (laughs) wrong with me. Why can't, why aren't I over this yet? Why aren't I functioning? Why aren't, yeah. Yes. I had two small kids, right? Like they need their mom to get her act together. And at some point in in this counselors and my work together, she said, there will come a day in which, or maybe a time in which you will cherish the feeling of grief. And I didn't get it at the time at all, but that has stuck with me. And that is definitely true. There are times when, you know, you go through long phases where the grief isn't as poignant or as present, maybe. But then this year, it's just a rough year for me for grief. Some years are better than others or calmer than others, I guess is a better way to put it. And I found myself kind of irritable with my husband the other day and just kind of like complaining about things I wouldn't normally complain about. And he was just checked in with me. He's like, what's going on with you? You know, that's not normally like you. And, uh, And I said, you know, I just find myself saying, what if, right? What if I had known then what I know now, right? I'm a counselor. That is definitely my big pitfall. I wasn't a counselor when my father passed or before he was was dying, but I do definitely toy with that sometimes when the grief is strong. And it just reminds me of how much I loved him and all of that. So I do just try and sit with it and experience it and just remind myself that I'm a person who who loves and is vulnerable and that that person was present in my life, you know, and I loved that about him. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that it it ebbs and flows and mm-hmm. normalizing the fact that there may be times or seasons or, or years in your, in your experience where I like using that word calmer where maybe the feelings aren't as intense but then 
it may come out of nowhere where it is more intense, you know? So shifting to, you know, the food piece, right? Because your, your story Mm -hmm. is so unique as well. How did, especially as the years progressed and ebbed and flowed, how did this tie into your experience with food and body and looking back, do you notice a connection or what was that story like for you? I do. Uh, definitely. So, so one of the things that I think, you know, we really need to be mindful of is this time of year in particular, it's not just grief, right? It's not just that we've had this hard time. It's also that the diet culture language, the food police language from now, like, let's just be real from maybe early, well, gosh, probably October when it's Halloween and there's candy, right? All the way through the end of January, we have all this language about like earning your pumpkin pie, you know, get a workout in the morning, go do the turkey trot 5k, whatever it may be, right? Or the Christmas 5k, or how are you going to earn those Christmas cookies, right? Going straight through like a freight train into January, new year, new you. So it's not just grief, it's compounded by this culture of language around dieting and earning food and and all of this. So why do I bring that up? Because I definitely really noticed it this year, right? My defenses were a little bit down and I noticed over control thoughts. So that's what we Mm. call it when we talk about people dieting, restricting, right? So as a therapist, what I know is that eating disorders are coping, right? That's ultimately what they start as a way of coping with stress. Can I pause you real quick? Because I think there might be some listeners who hear eating disorders. Well, I don't have an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And I want to bring to attention that eating disorders and disordered eating or just right? Like all of these diet, like behaviors, like you said, are often a way of coping. So yes, please, Absolutely. Keep, Thank, please keep going. Yes. Thank you so much for saying that. So th- let's think of eating disorders, disorder, eating and intuitive eating as a continuum mm. on one end is how we are born, which is embodied. We're like, oh, I'm crying. I'm hungry. Feed me. Right. Like that's how babies are born, right? We're completely in tune with our bodies and then socialization and culture changes our relationship and our understanding of food. So to be American is to have a little bit of a disordered relationship with food. You're just, Mm -hmm. it's just part of our everyday, right? So when I say eating disorders, I'm talking about people at the complete opposite end, but there's a whole big span in the middle, right? So what you might notice is a little bit of over control. So think of over control as like structure in the extreme, right? Mm. So you might say, well, I'm going to do keto this week, or you might be flirting with (laughs) big one I'm seeing right now is intermittent fasting, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to intermittent fast my way to surviving the holidays and not overeating. And let's be clear, That is supported by a lot in the medical community and a lot of nutritionists and dietitians and a lot of doctors in the bariatric community. And, you know, so these are socially acceptable ways to adopt some controlling ideas about eating and food and things like that. So that was what I noticed really every year is, is this with the how do I say this? Like the increase in volume of social media or uh, certainly social media in the last decade, but that, that volume of diet culture language, there's this like exponential loudness to it right now. And my desire to engage in it is also increased as I want to cope with my feelings of grief. Mm, That's so I think that's so impactful for somebody listening who's maybe experienced grief or maybe they have somebody in their, you know, circle, friends, family who they're recognizing these tendencies, recognizing that it could be a lot more complex. Mm-hmm. So, could you share a little bit too because again, I think your story is so unique. 
mm. about with your surgery. Like, can we shift shift to that a little bit about, you know, this extra, I like the using that word volume. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. just things are so much louder, things feel so much more intense. Mm-hmm. Like, how has that made it difficult through the holidays as well? Yeah. So, you know, one of the <laughs> So I think this actually really ties into grief because one of the griefs is that when you've had surgery is that you might have thought about Thanksgiving dinner as like, maybe you're super restrictive in your diet, but I'm going to give myself Thanksgiving day to just pig out and enjoy the foods. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, after you have surgery, (laughs) your ability to to pig out, quote unquote, is greatly diminished. And that can be a grief. Like the physical ability is different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, so there's a grief in that too, that is often unrecognized and unacknowledged and also kind of minimized by maybe friends and family because they're like, well, you chose to have surgery, Mm -hmm. or if you didn't have the surgery, we could have our holiday the way that is right. So it's really, it's all interwoven depending on your life circumstance and situation. So for me, when I start noticing over-control thoughts like, Ooh, you know, I want to engage in some particular restriction or diet behavior. I start getting really curious. Okay. Why am I wanting to do that? Right. And so as a bariatric patient, how I actually enjoy the holidays myself is I'm like, Oh, I get to have Thanksgiving dinner, like five times during that day, (laughs) (laughs) multiple times so that I just really can enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about, you know, any tips for somebody navigating, right? This grief that maybe they're noticing some of that pull. How, what is, what was the word used again? Over control. What was that word? Over control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over control to dieting behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They feel that pull to over control. Do you have any tips for somebody navigating it both short term? Like mm-hmm. when I say short term, I think of like on that day, in that moment, but then also long term, right? Because like you said, the volume is turned up pretty much from October, and we're going to be hearing it probably through the end of January. Yeah, absolutely. So I think a couple of things. I think for the short term on a daily basis, right? You can just pause one time during the day. Maybe it's in the morning. I typically wake up, I have my coffee, and I'll like just kind of think about my day. But that's an opportunity in that moment to ask myself, what do I need today? What do I need today? Right. I've got kids. I've got a husband. I've got clients. I've got Thanksgiving dinner that I'm hosting tomorrow, (laughs) right? Or this year. And so it's my chance to engage in self care on a daily basis and say, what do I need this moment, this day, this week? Um, So that's kind of the short term. If I find myself entertaining ideas of diet behavior, that on a bigger scale, you know, long term, I am a fan of curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. Just kind of just sit with that, go, oh, hmm, why do I want to do that? What is making me want to do that, right? What problem am I trying to solve by intermittent fasting or going Ooh. vegan or whatever it is, right? That we want to do. What that's problem a, am I trying to solve? That's such a good question to ask yourself mm-hmm. because I think, I think people, we might be pleasant not pleasantly, probably unpleasantly surprised by the answer because it's probably much more than, well, I want to lose weight or I want, you know, whatever that control piece is. Yeah. I love that. What am I trying to solve? Yeah. Well, and that's, so it's really about control. I'm trying to control something, right? Things are feeling out of control. And we have been taught that controlling our body size and our relationship, our body's relationship with gravity is the solution and is a problem, right? Mm -hmm. First and foremost, weight in and of itself is not a problem. That is just the consequence of genetics and gravity. So many things, right? Your weight is not a problem. It's a symptom 
Right. And, and I owe that, that whole phrasing to a doctor called Peter Ataya that I, I have listened to. He has a big Ted talk. I don't agree with everything that he says from a mental health perspective, but mm-hmm. like that really was a shift for me. Mm-hmm. Weight is not a problem. It's a symptom. Mm-hmm. I want to add to that, you know, I, another Fiona Sutherland, she's a dietitian in the health mm-hmm. at every size intuitive eating space based in Australia. I can't remember where I heard her say this, but she spoke about, yeah, weight. It's often, it's not, you know, there's this whole, we could do a whole other topic about, you know, this obesity epidemic and it's really less about obesity. And it's more of this, we're disconnected from our body. We're disconnected. And like you said, sometimes our eating patterns or eating choices reflect that disconnection that we have to our bodies. Absolutely. And so that's why I love my daily practice of what does my body need right now? So, so here's my perspective on that. I a thousand percent agree with this disconnection from our body. Here's where it starts infancy. Why we're hungry. Literally our stomach is growling. We don't know. We're babies. We're hungry. We cry. That's all we have the capacity to do. And our caregiver will either respond to that with food if they get it right the first time. And if they have the ability to attune to our needs, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. They may not have that ability. Maybe our primary caregiver is working two jobs. Maybe they have postpartum depression. Like there's so many, maybe they just don't know because they're a young parent, right? Mm -hmm. But that's, so our bodies or our mind has the ability to dissociate and disconnect as an escape mechanism to discomfort. That's what we do. That is your parasympathetic and system nervous system response to stress is dissociation, especially when we're an infant. That is our way of flight, right? Mm -hmm. Fight or flight, the only way an infant has, or even a a child has to get away from anything their nervous system believes is discomfort is dissociation. Mm -hmm. So I can go on and on about the neurobiology of that, but that disconnection starts then, right? And then is reinforced and informed by the world around us, my nutrition education in freaking kindergarten all the way through. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. like, let's talk about the food pyramid and my play, all those things. I think it was the five food groups or the four food groups when I was growing up. Right. So yeah. there's all kinds of models for that. What if you just stopped and said, what do I need? What does my body need right now? Mm-hmm. Right. What does it have to say? Maybe it's like, I just need pumpkin pie for breakfast. Go eat the freaking pumpkin pie, you know? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. And I think for people listening, maybe maybe we have some listeners who are fairly new to the podcast or new to this you know, non-diet intuitive eating approach. Mm. That's a really common misconception. Like, oh, I'm always going to want, let's say around the holidays, the pumpkin pie or the dessert for breakfast. And again, you might be surprised when you take the time to actually check in. You you might want something else. You might, (laughs) you know, it can change, but I have a really great example of that. And this is really relevant in the bariatric community, but everyone (laughs) experiences this head hunger idea, right? Yes. That's such a common, there's so many, we could do another, again, Kitty, I'm going to have to have you back on the show because there's so many other (laughs) side topics we could talk about, but yeah, there's another language in the bariatric community of yeah, these different things that happen. But I, so talk, to us about head, head, talk to us about yeah. head hunger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I would be happy to come back anytime. I love talking about this stuff. So head hunger at its core is simply the urge to eat without the physical sensation of hunger. Right. So I would experience that in the evenings a lot, but I do orange theory. I work out a lot. Oh, and by the way, I was doing that before I had bariatric surgery. Like this is not new for me. I work Mm -hmm. out a lot. I enjoy it. I love it. I love just going outside and getting fresh air and letting my mind wander, but I would experience this hunger. And I, and initially I was like, head hunger is bad. I should not be eating at night. It is a horrible thing to do. And I was like, what if I just sit back and get curious about it? Why am I eating at night? Right. Why, why is my body wanting to eat? Well, because after bariatric surgery, your brain and your body has to figure out a different way to keep you alive and give you the sensations or the urge to eat because it's a survival skill. 
So what I realized was that if I didn't eat enough during the day, particularly protein, because I do weightlifting, I need extra protein. If I wasn't eating enough during the day, my body was going to figure out how to get me to eat more at night on the day. And I just kind of journaled it and tracked it. You know, I don't use any apps or anything like that, but I'll food journal. And I was like, oh, on the days that I get enough protein, get enough calories, get enough food early in the day. I don't even think about food at night. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. so that totally changed this language of head hunger from being a bad thing to being wisdom, right? My body is wise. It is working so hard to keep me alive. How amazing is that? You know, I I love that example. And I think that applies so well to just anybody listening. Like you can take any sort of information that you read or hear. And if you can come to it from a place of curiosity, it doesn't have to be bad, you know, good or bad information. It can simply be information that you can then filter in a, through in a way that works best and makes sense for you. So I think that's a, that's a beautiful example. Well, and what I love about curiosity and why I talk about curiosity so much is one is the birthplace of compassion and self-compassion, right? Curiosity is going to invite a conversation and curiosity and judgment cannot inhabit the same space. Mm, That's powerful. We need to tweet that. That is good. (laughs) That is gold right there. We love that. So let's talk about the flip side, right? Maybe you have Mm -hmm. family members or friends or, you know, how can somebody best support a loved one who is, who has experienced loss during this time, right? For example, you know, I'll use myself as an example. My mother-in-law's sister recently passed over the the past month. It was her sister, you know, one week. And then a couple weeks later, her adopted dad. So Mm -hmm. close together. So tight. Right. And so from an outside looking in, I wasn't as close to them. Right. And so, yes, I was there. I attended the funeral, but my grief regarding that loss is different than hers. So how can somebody support somebody else? during this time, you know, what to say, what not to say, what to do. I think we often tiptoe around like, well, there's a right or wrong. So what's your experience there, opinion? Yeah. And let's be clear too, right? In this COVID time, people are losing entire families. The grief is just profound. And here's what I have to say. There is no fixing it. Mm full stop, right? A lot of times we want to say something because we're uncomfortable with someone else's pain, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We want it to go away. Nobody wants to feel pain and we don't want to see it. I will never forget attending my cousin lost her husband to cancer many years ago now. And I will never forget going to the funeral and seeing her for the first time after the loss and just the pain that was radiating off of her was palpable, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be around that, right? No, we all are sucks. just going to shy away. <laughs> it sucks. So let's just acknowledge that, right? This is going to be uncomfortable. Okay. We've got that out of the way. We're not going to fix it. And actually trying to fix it serves the opposite of what you're trying to do, which is be there for someone else. It feels minimizing. It feels ignoring. So Mm -hmm. what do we do instead? We show up. We just show up and we just say, God, this sucks. I'm here. Don't even say, what do you need? Right? Because Mm -hmm. people in the throes of grief don't know. They may not know. And you saying, what do you need is really kind of an appropriation of getting them to do the emotional labor of solving your pain, right? Mm -hmm. And your discomfort with their pain. They don't have the mental bandwidth to tell you what they need. What they need you to do is show up, bring a freaking casserole, (laughs) jump in. Food Food is a love language and that's okay. Absolutely. Feeding people is my love language. Um, And so jump in, do just do the dishes, right? Grab the kids, take them to the park, you know, run a bath, 
I'll tell you what my husband does for me is he just stops and he, especially 20 years on, right. Mm-hmm. Um, our relationship was very, very new when we started dating or when my father passed, we'd only been dating for a few months. Now it's, it's a grief. He knows well within me, mm. he just stops and he looks at me and he just sits there and he just lets me talk. Right. Sometimes I just need to entertain the what if for a minute. And there are moments where people have said, well, you didn't know that. Of course, I didn't know that then, right? But, That's but let me say it. Let, let me, me say it. Yeah, just let, let me, me get it, it off my chest, off my heart, mm-hmm. off my head. Yeah. Climb into the bed with me. Make a pillow for it with me, right? Mm-hmm. Just hold me. Let me tell you what a silly person my father was, which most people don't know, but he actually was a very silly person. And he was totally a girl dad before a girl dad was a thing, right? He used to put like sun in in my hair when I was like a middle (laughs) schooler. And I'm totally aging myself. No, you give me a throwback. I remember it for sure. But he would put sudden in my hair and he'd go, let's go get portraits done. Right. And most people don't know that about my dad. I love that you bring up that specific story because I was, you know, thinking about our, our interview today and I reached out mm-hmm. to a friend who posted something on Instagram about she lost her mother from cancer and she posted something about it and said, Hey, if you don't mind me asking, like, what's your experience around at this time of year? What do you wish people knew? And she brought up that exact example. Like, I just wish people would talk about it, talk about her. So mm-hmm. often people don't talk about her because it's awkward, because it's uncomfortable, because they don't want to feel the pain or they think that it's going to bring about pain when she said, but really for me, it's the opposite because mm-hmm. then I get to share those stories. I get to share those memories and it becomes you know, a moment to acknowledge her and, and be aware of her. And I thought, wow, that's so... You know, so for me, as that person who's on the other side, I think about, you know, it doesn't have to be this whole bring it up or not bring it up. Like it's okay to talk about it. Doesn't have to be this thing to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. So I have two thoughts on that. One is I'm going to quote Macklemore because you know, <laughs> he is so wise. Yes. In his song, Glorious, I think, he talks about how the second time that you die is the last time someone mentions your name. Oh. Oh, right. Is it Goosebumps? Macklemore, who know you could do that? I love that song. Macklemore, dude. So yeah. So like, I think about that, right? And so let me talk about my dad. Let me tell you how he would call foggy weather froggy or things like that. Like he was a silly guy. I also, you know, as a therapist, right? Mm -hmm. Bringing it back down to the professional side. Uh, Sorry, Macklemore, but... um, I would also say that 70% of the work of therapy is simply in the relationship. And scientifically, what's happening is we share our neurobiology with people. We have mirror neurons in our brains, and we can share our calm with other people. When people co-regulate with us, when they attune with us, that's what that's called, attunement. Um, we calm down faster. Mm. So by you telling me, right, oh, that happened so long ago, or oh, it's fine, you know, he's in a better place now, saying those kinds of things, I'm like, oh, you're not getting me, right? That's what's Mm. happening in my body and in my nervous system is I'm like, oh no, people aren't getting me. That's gonna amp up my anxiety. Mm -hmm. Where if you're like, God, I wish I could have met him, right? I have a son now who was born after my father passed, who will never meet my dad, but he has my dad's hair. And so like, as his hair gets longer and curlier and frizzier, just like my dad, I love to pet it and stroke it and say like, you have your grandfather's hair. And I love that so much. Right. And I get to share him still. And so I just, just be there. Just, you literally don't have to say a word just by being present. Use that emotional intelligence, especially if it's somebody that you're close with. Mm. If, If you pause, you can read maybe how they're feeling by what they say or what they don't say. And it sounds like come from a place less of fixing. Like if you say something in your head and pause and go, huh, that sounds like I'm trying to take away the pain. Sounds like just right. say, just 
being there, just opening, just saying, how are you, you know, or even not, if you know, it's a tough time, it sounds like say, just, this must be a tough season for you right now. I got and you. Listen, I got you. Yeah. I a got hug, you. a hug, a casserole, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Just do it. Just do it. And don't ask, don't ask permission. Just do it. Right. We're so like, Oh, I don't want to do the wrong thing. Right. You will never do the wrong thing by just showing up, holding someone's hand and listening, right? Mm -hmm. Get your freaking vaccine and go (laughs) into the presence of someone else. We need it so badly right now. So badly we need connection. Can you touch on that piece of the pandemic and grief? Like even if somebody hasn't been directly impacted by grief as a result of the pandemic, like what are your thoughts on like this overall, like just grief and of so many things. Can you touch on that based on what, who you've been working with and what you've experienced in your work? Yeah. So, so let's be clear, whether you have lost someone to death by COVID-19 or not, there is not a single human being on this planet who is not grieving in some way in my clinical judgment because our world has been irrevocably changed. It is irrevocably altered. So maybe the grief is simply, God, I I wish I could walk back in time and remember what it was like to go inside a grocery store without thinking, do I have my mask on me? There is actually a picture, prime example of this type of grief. My son uh, had a birthday party March 7th, 2020, they were at a huge trampoline park, him and his friends, right? Literally less than a week later, his school shut down for spring break, uh, closed for spring break. And he did not go back for until this school year. And there's a picture that I took of him at this birthday party uh, with all of his friends, with these big, huge, open smiles and joyful and happy. And it is one of the most painful pictures for me to look at Mm -hmm. because I knew what was about to happen to our world less than a a week later. And this was kind of like that last moment before that happened. Mm -hmm. And it's just really painful. It's a beautiful picture, right? I love that picture. And also I knew what happened later Mm -hmm. and it was very difficult. So, and I have not lost anyone by death to COVID-19. I feel very grateful for that, but my profession has been forever altered. There was no telehealth. Mm-hmm. When that, that, that week there was zero to, I mean, the, the idea of providing therapy via telehealth with like, you'd be laughed at. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was just crazy. Right. And I, sometimes I miss that. I miss mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that showed up for my clients? You know, I'm back in person now for the most part, and I have clients who sometimes just need to talk about it. And they need me to show up with a little bit more humanity. I had a client a few weeks ago. He just needed to reminisce. We call it BC and and AC before COVID and after COVID. (laughs) Yes. To to kind of write that before and after for that demotivation and just to kind of acknowledge that change. And he just needed, he needed to just talk about like, I miss going to the grocery store and thinking about a mask. And then he asked me, right. And, and so I'm very careful with disclosures. And I said, you know, we talked about what do you hate about post COVID life, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what? I dislike telehealth and he laughed, but that was probably the best thing for him to hear. He needed to know. I'm also like a human Mm -hmm, parts mm -hmm. about it that I don't like. And I said, and I can hold the duality of, I love that people who didn't have access to mental health before, because there was no telehealth now do I'm grateful Mm -hmm. for that. And also I really dislike doing telehealth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. Being able to, you can have both of those. You can, you can experience both of those sides. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful. Absolutely. How can we all you know, everybody listening, all of us, you know, clinicians, clients, people alike, you know, how can we better support just our mental health during seasons of stress, depression, Mm. grief, heaviness? 
Yes. So, so one is everybody on the planet, probably definitely if you're in any sort of helping profession, teachers, healthcare providers, you know, clinicians like me, doctors, go take a burnout quiz and tell us where you, you know, figure out where you land right now on, you can Google it. There's a billion of them out there see where you land on that. Right. And I'm going to say two more things that are going to sound contradictory. One, increase your boundaries around your time. I did a lot of trainings this year and, and I'm glad that I did them and I will not do any more this year. (laughs) So I just, I I spend my time from mid-November through January taking time off, not doing anything extra. Mm-hmm. I'm really super boundaried around requests for my time. How many parties am I going to attend? Although clearly last year I didn't attend any. Um, I make sure to in, in schedule in my calendar sloth days. And those Ooh, are- I love that. Everybody, oh, write, yeah. everybody write that down. I was just thinking I could use a whole lot of nothing tomorrow. Yeah. No, I mean, literally nothing. I have Sunday sloth day and I will work extra hard through my week because I'm going to wake up on Sunday. I'm going to sit there as long as I want drinking coffee, reading, whatever it is, chatting with my husband. And I'm going to stay in my PJs all day. Um, And I'm going to say, I'm not going to go anywhere. Probably not going to shower, not going to do the laundry the house is a mess. The house is a mess. I'm doing nothing that day except following my intuition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm going to engage in some nesting. I'm going to follow that, that statement about increasing your boundaries with increasing your flexibility. And maybe those two seem kind of like polar opposites, but that's going to say, you know, flexibility is going to be Maybe you had something you said yes to, you wake up that day and you're like, oh, you know, you're in that moment in the morning. What do I need today? Maybe it's, I need to not go to this thing tonight, right? Loved ones can support that by saying, okay, then we're not going, right? Loved ones can support you or support the one grieving with advocacy, having your back, you know, helping you incorporate those boundaries. Like say you were supposed to go to a family function and you just don't have it, right? You don't have it to give that day. Mm -hmm. Then the loved one needs to say, no problem. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll chat with you later. Don't push Mm -hmm. back. Don't be like, well, I really wanted to see you. If the person that's grieving says, I just can't do it today. Let them say no. Mm -hmm. I think anybody can take that advice too. Yes, because you don't know what that other person has going on or what mental health, you know, things that they're dealing with. And so I think being extra cognizant of allowing people to say no and not taking it personal, like, (laughs) yeah, let it be. The other thing I really want to encourage that's not talked about enough is incorporating your creativity into a regular practice, as well as spirituality. And when I talk about spirituality as a clinician, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about what gives you a sense of being part of something larger than yourself. And that is an experience that whether you're an atheist or you're an agnostic, or you're a deeply religious person can relate to. So Mm -hmm. I'm a scuba diver. And so I can totally, you know, talk about scuba diving. And when I'm feeling my most transcendent self and connected to something larger than myself, it's usually about a hundred feet below the surface of the ocean. Mm. Right. And so maybe it's at the top of a mountain, but just incorporate some of those feelings of being part of something larger than yourself or go do that thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do like to talk about, about those things too. Such, such good advice. Oh, Kitty, this has been gold. So many, oh. so many tweetable, quotable moments today. <laughs> and I so appreciate you sharing, you know, not just your expertise, but opening up and your, your personal story, which already at the time of this recording, you know, 
that's really vulnerable of yourself as well. But I think it's, it's really brave and um, we really appreciate it. So I love to end all my interviews with this question. What's the best thing that's happened to you this week? So I love this question so much because going on the whole sloth day idea, my husband and I have not had enough time alone at all. And so we like found some cheap Airbnb and we went, we went on Sunday and literally like did nothing the whole time we were there. We went out to, I didn't even take dinner. I was like, Oh, we'll figure it out when we get there. Didn't really plan it. We just went and it was just him and I for two nights. And Mm -hmm. what we decided was we were going to schedule that we were going to schedule these weekends away for the, for the next year. We're just going to put them on the books. We're going to reserve a hotel or something and just go away every other month for the entire year of 2022. I love that. I want to see, I might borrow that idea. Like right now as your goal setting or intention setting Mm -hmm. for the new year, like just put them in the calendar. Like they're already there. Sorry. Love that. How fun. I'm so glad that you had that, that time. It was, it was exactly what I needed. I needed to just go away and just not be mom, not be therapist, just be be sloth in the best way. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Kitty, where can our listeners find you and connect? Yeah. So um, I work in Austin, Texas for Therapy Austin. If they want to uh, do counseling with me, they can find me on Instagram at Unbroken Abundance. Um, they can also follow me at Kitty F L M S W on Instagram as well. I, I'm on both. I don't know. I'm not really a big social media person, but they can find me there and connect with me there. I love hearing from people and I love talking about food and ourselves and healing and ditching diet culture and all of those kinds of things. It takes a village. That's for sure. Mm, absolutely. Thanks, Kitty. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share it with a friend. You can subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Fit Friends Happy Hour. Talk to you next time.